Hey good people, this is your NI Dom back with another reflection and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, I'm here to do a part two to being orphaned. I was trying to get the part one uploaded so that it would register as on the 28th because I'm trying to hit a deadline um, and I only have so many, I have, uh, so much space to do it in and I don't want to go into the the calculation or the strategy of it all, but I needed to release it. Um, and so I wasn't done with that episode or that reflection, but because I needed to be uploaded on the 28th and not the 29th, I went ahead and put a pause in it to come back to do a part two and part two should show up as the 29th. All right. So I started a conversation on being orphaned uh, because I had three experiences that um, I'm I'm going to lump them together uh, under this idea of being orphaned, um, having to go through some pictures, uh, being inheriting some pictures on my my dad's side of the family, uh, having an experience with my mom, and reading some text earlier this morning, which. But it's, well, anyway, reading some text this morning that all, um, I'm pushing all of that together to consider this idea of being orphaned. In part one, all I did was introduce the three areas. I just introduced them. I didn't unpack them. And I probably lingered a long, a little longer in the text part, the text part of that, uh, setup. But for the most part, I haven't really gone into it. And so that's what I plan on doing in part two, really unpacking each of those three areas. In part one, I talked about uh, that I'm outside walking my dog so that you will hear wind, cars, birds, dogs, and humans. And I will be uh, trying to hit the pause button to manage and mitigate as much of the noise as I possibly can. But you have to definitely excuse the breathiness because I am walking. (laughs) So... um, I'm not going to do a lot for disclaimers. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal. It's reflective. I usually go through a list of identities that I have so that people understand when I'm reflecting. And my identities influence how I perceive and process. And people in the typology community, they don't, I don't think that they acknowledge context enough. And so it's important for me. Um, I don't know if this is the INTJ part of me. I don't know if this is the social scientist part of me, but it's in, it is important that um, I'm very transparent about my context, my experiences in the world, and how it influences context and what I have to say. I spend a lot of time talking about typology because that is the, the engine to my processing. For the most part, it's the engine to how I process but it is not the sole factor in terms of unpacking the world. So if you want to know more about um, this project or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. The one thing I do need to tell you is that it is unedited and it is unscripted. Um, so it is an honest, it's about as honest and authentic as I can possibly be showing up externally as it, you know, in my TE cognitive function. Um, all right, so check out my website, yournidom.wordpress.com if you want to know more. I'm about to hit a very busy part of my walking path. Um, I was trying to avoid this, but the next 15 minutes it's going to be noisy. So my apologies, 
Um, if you can't handle it, I'm not mad. I get it, but um, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So I left off in the reflection um, part one where I started telling you that, um, you know, I I had an experience. I'm experiencing my mother right now. I'm processing my relationship with my mother in a way that is slightly confusing for me because I feel that I have resolved any concerns that I have with my mother. I feel like I've resolved it. I feel like I have allowed for her human, her human self. You know, she's a person before, 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 underneath her being a mom, she's a human being. And, you know, I think getting to that, that resolve, she's, yo, she's a human being and I'm not going to hold her hostage to my needs. My needs, my thinking, my feelings. I don't want to do that anymore. And for the most part, I'm pretty proud of that. I'm, it took me a long, long time to get here. But it feels good. It feels good to not be burdened by that. And to, that's the greatest gift I, hold on a second. There's a car pulling up on the side of me. And I try to be observant as possible. Um, so, um, you know, it feels pretty good to to give that gift to her, you know. Um, there's a protector side of me. as I'm an eight. Uh-uh, come on, let's go. Sorry about that. I'm an eight. And, um, and eights are protective. And... I've, I've also experienced being protective of my dad. And, you know, and I'm more comfortable talking about the turbulence with my father because there is an extroverted, excuse me, there is consensus in my world, in my outer world, about my father more so than there is about my mother. So it just makes it easier. But if I'm a person of integrity, um, I have to be fair. Um, I have to be fair. And so I've been having a little bit of conflict about that, a little protectiveness for my dad. Because I think it's easier to talk about his his um, complications. It's easier to do that um, than it is... Um, to talk about my mom's comp, um, complications. And so just some conflict, just some conflict around that. And I think, well, as I was saying in part one, because I'm on vacation now, and this is the first summer. One second. Good evening. Sorry about that. <laughs> this is the first summer. Um, since I've been doing this, this phase of the healing work where I'm not worried about my material self, I'm not worried. And so I'm not distracted. And so it allows me to do a level of introspection I haven't done in a long time. So I've been doing some healing work as it relates to my childhood. Um, that healing work started around, it technically 
started at the beginning. It technically started in 2016. It, it started in 2016. It peaked in 2018 um, when I got this book. Um, mothers Who Can't Love, Five Mothers Who Can't Love. I can't think of the title. Um, but I'll try to see if I can put that in um, in the show notes somewhere. But it's Five Mothers Who Can't Love. Um, it's a healing, I think it's like a healing guide for adult women raised by mothers who can't love. Something to that effect. And when, when my heart coach gave me that book, and she said she had been sitting on it, she gave it to me in eight, 2018. I started working with my heart coach in 2016. And she said that she... Um, That she, um, I'm sorry, I got distracted. Something just popped in my head because my mother has been referencing my heart coach by her first name as though she has some kind of personal connection with my heart coach. So then it makes me wonder when was, when and what was the reason for me to, to reference my heart coach by first name, number one. And what is the reason why my mother is holding on to my mother literally in the last maybe two weeks have referenced my heart coach by first name as though there's like a familiarity with her. So anyway, just a second ago when I got distracted, my mind started making that connection like and I started like drawing connecting dots and as, and raising questions like, huh, why is she calling her by her first name? And why is she referencing her lately? So anyway, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going to have a, I'm having a hard time dropping into the pocket here. I think because I don't really want to do this reflection. I, there's a part of me that just wants to be over it. You know, I, you know, like I said, my heart coach was sitting on this book for two years before she gave it to me because she said she wanted to make sure she wanted to really make sure that it was my situation. It was and it was when I read it. I just was like overwhelmed with how spot on the text is for me. It's like never in my life have I seen my story in print in text form about somebody else. I have all my life, all all my um, teenage to adult life, I have been looking for understanding. I've been trying to enter into conversations to explain to people what type of experience, relational experience I was having with my mother. And I wasn't able to get that understanding. Not at all. Because how my mother presents um, to others is different than how she presents to me. And the only person that has witnessed that duality is my sister. And I think a little bit uh, one of my cousins. Hold on a second. It's probably good that I'm doing this reflection outside, outside because 
there's clearly some unresolved stuff that's still happening inside of me. Oh, jeez Louise. Um, so when I got this book and I'm reading other stories and I'm like, yes, um, all this time, all this time, I had never, it was just the stories in this text were so exact, exacting. I mean, exacting. It was mind blowing. It was, it was mind blowing. And at that moment, I realized a couple of things. And of course, I couldn't, like I said in part one, I've said this in the past, I could not consume that book all in one sitting. I'm still not done with it. I'm not even halfway done with the book. It is so not textually dense, but emotionally dense for me. But one of the things that has helped me since I have read the first four chapters. So one of the things that reading that text, what it did for me is that it allowed me to no longer question my experiences when you can have an experience and no one gets it no one has ever experienced it no one has ever witnessed it you it it can cause confusion like damn did i experience this thing and it wasn't when you and then it's a repeated experience so it's not like a one-time experience where you can go oh you're just making stuff up you you're imagining things you know what i mean but it was a repeated experience and when it doesn't have external validation that's hard for me and i don't know if that's because of my extroverted thinking right because i am a thinker and my the, the way i process is through external standards external validation and not emotional validation but rational like um standards analysis um, evidence, measurements, and to have an experience and not be able to have that externally validated, validated was psychologically, um, I would say, impactful. And so what this book did for me was that it was like, it is a real thing. No one in your world, no one in your world other than your sister has been able to validate this thing and it would not been enough for me to have heart coach after heart coach after heart coach to say to validate it but to read the the the, the analysis in this book so the book is uh written by a psycho a psychoanalyst uh psychotherapist at rather and what she does is she provides an analysis and then she provides little vignettes little stories and both the analysis and the stories were so detailed. It was in the details that I was like, whoa. It was just very freeing for me. So I no longer question if I had those experiences with my mom. I no longer question it. I no longer am confused by why I had those experiences with my mother. So this is really important for this reflection. For so long, I'm 51 years old, almost 50 years of my life. Let's say up until I was 46, 40. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I would say between 48 and 50 is when I really started getting a grip. Um, But let's just say 
just for the sake of, you know, num- easy math, <laughs> that for 50 years of my life, that's not true because the, for the first 10, 15 years, I didn't have this understanding. But I started having, I started questioning my, the safety of my mother when I probably was about t- about 11 years old, I started questioning the safety of my mom. And um, in my own childlike 11-year-old self. And so you, let's just say, let's just for the sake of easy math, let's go from 11 to 41. That's 30 years. It was longer than that. But... Okay, so let's say 11 to 46, that's 35 years. I just want to have some easy numbers to play with as I'm talking and calculating. For at least 35 years, I was questioning an, an experience with my mother that, I, that felt incredibly unsafe. And over 35 years of that, of my, of, hold on a second. Okay, I'm going to just tell you guys what just happened. Because I got to get it recorded. <laughs> this car just... Remember I told you maybe about 10 minutes ago, it was a car. And it, was, it pulled up on the side of me. I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I was already on alert that that happened. Was it 10 minutes ago? I don't know how long ago it was. But I know I said something out in this recording. Well, just now, another car just pulled up. Um, and... And, um, and, and, um, and it pulls up from behind me. So it's not like it pulled up from in front of me. And so I'm like, oh, another car is pulling up. Like, what is happening today? And so this guy was running for office and he wanted to give me some of his literature. And he said, it's his third, his third time running for office. And, and I get it. But he was like, can I, can I give you this paper? I was like, no, sir. But if you give me your name, I will look you up. But I was not going to walk to his car. I wasn't. And I've been listening. I think it's not funny. It's not funny at all. But um, about maybe 10 years ago, I would have had no problems walking up to the car, getting the lid. Like, oh, you have some, you have some paper? Oh, I'll take it. Not a problem. Because I'm not usually scary. I'm not skittish usually. But um, I've been <laughs> listening to these um, crime shows because I'm really fascinated by forensic evidence and how they use forensic evidence to solve crime. I hate the crime part of it, but I love the analysis part of those shows. And so um, ever since I've been <laughs> like, it's amazing how people how this. So I was just like, so he said, <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. The guy in the car was like, can you can you come and get this? piece of paper and I was like no sir <laughs> and I'm laughing because I was serious like no I will not walk up to your car and get this piece of paper but I will remember your name and I will look you up online so anyway that was a derail but okay where did I leave off so <laughs> um so dealing with my mom I no longer for for 35 years I'm having an experience that I cannot fully explain. I cannot get people, I cannot, I cannot give evidence to it. 
I cannot explain it. I cannot give evidence to it. And that is taxing in terms of your subjectivity and sense of reality and what's real, what's not. And even when I, I couldn't understand why it was happening. So it was a double-edged like challenge for me. Like, did you see that? Can you, can, I'm having an experience. Can you get it? I'm sorry. This is something I probably need to write about. Because that third, I never did the math until I just did it with you all. 35 years of knowing something was wrong and not being able to get a soul outside of my sister to validate it, to affirm it, and to not understand why it was happening. And this and this book that my heart coach gave me actually wasn't the first time it wasn't really the first time it wasn't my first exposure to having evidence that um that this could be experienced by a mother i think i've told you before a lady uh, who i had met at this church i was going to was a congregation and we were starting to we were starting to hang out all of less than a year and she said to me because I was living out of town and she said I hope you don't mind I hope you don't find this disrespectful but I need to say it to you when you go home to visit your family and you come back there's an energy on you that reminds me of my sister and I don't know anything about your mother, but I can tell you about my mother and the relationship she had with my sister. This is what the lady is talking to me and saying. And by the way, I just got distracted because I want to make note that that car that pulled up had Florida license plates and I'm in the Midwest. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you running for office? And, and you're riding around with Florida license plates. Anyway, so I just needed to say that. <laughs> so, um, so she told me about her mother. And she told me about her sister and her mother. And when she was telling me the story, I was like, yeah, that seems familiar. But because it wasn't, it was coming from an interpersonal space, I still was, I, I didn't, I had a hard time accepting that it was my story. Although I could listen to this lady talk about her sister, her mom, and I could relate to so much of it. I couldn't own it as my story. And then I started reading, I start. I went and found some other books and I started reading. And so then I'm like, this is possible that this can be experienced in a world by children and their parents. I even wrote an article. I even wrote a, a, an essay and I published it, but I still couldn't own it as my story. I couldn't own it. And it was something about this book, this particular book that I'm telling you about, something about the details of it. 
the details, the analysis. It's the it's the it was the analysis that that I needed, not the emotional connection. I needed the analytical connection to go. That is my story. It wasn't until I had that. So I got it. I don't question. I I don't question it anymore. I don't question was it real, and I don't even I don't even question why I got the why. I got it, and I think because I got it now, I have been able to release that. Isn't that interesting? The moment I was able to get that validated, and I was able to understand the why to it all, I was no longer burdened with it. And I can then forgive my mother for being human. That's what it is. My mom and her human experience was trying to parent. That's the God, that's the short end of it. And I got that. And that part I understand. I even understand that my mother is not a lone actor. And I think this is the value of me framing my project as, or framing, framing my identity as coming from intergenerational trauma. I'm not the only one that was impacted by that family trauma. And my mom was not the only one impacted by the intergenerational trauma. And once I started seeing the systems of it, which is interesting because in undergrad, you know, I must have been 20 years old and I got introduced to systems theory. And it, it was life changing for me. Maybe 21. It was another change. It was like, whoa, what, it, excuse me, when I got introduced, introduced to family systems theory. And ironically, I got introduced to family systems theory before I got introduced to systems theory and family systems theory uses systems theory but I got introduced to family systems theory first and um, it wasn't until this book could I put it all together so I wonder if I wouldn't have had all of this prior exposure analytical exposure would the book have done it for me like you might go get the book and you go nah, it doesn't do anything for me and that's very well possible. It could have just been the timing of me getting that book. So anyway, I said all of that to say, I am no longer carrying the burden of if what I experienced was real, and I'm no longer with being challenged by why did it happen. And that type of understanding is incredibly freeing. It's, it's freeing. And as a result, and here's the danger that I feel like I am what I'm confronting with now. Because I'm, I'm liberated from that, I feel that I have, I'm more ease. I can interact with my mom in a way that I haven't in a long, 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 long time. I can be loving with her. And um, 
not, and I don't think loving is the way, because I think about times when I've tried to love on her in the past, and she um, didn't really let me. Um, and I need to sit with that, because in some ways that's still true. It's just so I, I, I enter into it's just I'm entered into my relationship with her differently. Um, I no longer feel it's her job to attend to me in those emotional wounds that she created. She created them, but unfortunately, she, I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't put that on her to, to attend to them. I'm a grown up now. And I don't know if that's the right thing to do either. I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know. That's what I said in, at the start of part one. I think it was part one. I was like, I don't know if this is an issue of maturity or if it's an issue of still needing to grow. So, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Hi. So, I'm not sure about that yet. But, nonetheless, um, what is what is challenging me now, and this has, this is just something that's not resolved, is my mom hasn't done the healing work where I'm concerned. She, um, she hasn't. And I think in the last two weeks I'm going to have to confront that she probably never will she never will and that hurts and that's a that's a pain that's it feels new and then there's a part of me that says that shouldn't be new at all that's not new that's part of the other stuff that's part of the that's part of the other work That you work, that's the other trauma that you work through. She's not going to be able to heal towards me because I am not, in her mind, worthy of that type of forgiveness. So there must be something going on because I see three police cars. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> um, If you listen to my, if if you ever have a chance to talk to my mom privately, my mom will say what I'm almost saying about her. My mom will say I abused her. She'll say I abused her. I hurt her. And I had to go through that. But the interesting thing about She's been saying I've done been hurting her since I was a kid. And what I know about child psychology and as an educator, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I understand it through the book that I'm talking about. The book talks about that. But outside of that book, it's it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand how your how a parents can accuse their kids of being abusive towards them. Hold on a second. Okay, I saw the fourth police car and somebody was getting arrested. And I was like, yeah, somebody said something was going on. 
I started seeing a high traffic, uh, high cases, whatever. So, um, I don't know. So that's intriguing to me. And as a person that's committed to growth, you know, there are definitely, I definitely sit with that. Have I been abusive to my mother? You know what I mean? And in order to make a, this is, now, now I said child psychology, right? But now let me go into my social sciences. In order to make a case for abuse, you got to establish power. In order for me to be abusive to my mom, I would have to have power over her. That's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. Now, I have read, there, there's a lot of literature out there about what's called the narcissistic child and how the narcissistic child can abuse the parent. But most of the time, when you get into that literature, most of the time, that literature gets, goes right back to the parent and talks about the, re- the responsibility of the parent. And so in the text that I was, in the book that I have that I keep referencing, even though I'm not giving you the right title, one of the chapters, because there are five types of moms that can't love, one is called the mother who needs mothering. That's a hard thing for me to process because then I would have to think about my grandmother. But then I'm like, well, if my mother is, if I'm part of a system, my mom was part of a system, why wouldn't my grandmother be part of a system, right? Um, in many, and it's ironic because in many ways, this idea that I abused my mom, I hurt my mom, and then you would have to you would have to implicate me as the power holder. It it fits right in this chapter, mothers who need mothering, and they and they put that responsibility of mothering on their daughters, and. Um, someone told me that when I was like 27, 28, I had written a poem. It was so painful. And she was like, it sounds like you're your mother's mother. And that was so like profound to me. And then I fooled around and cause for so long as I was trying to figure out this dynamic, I was trying to include my mom in the process and not initially, but, but, and I, and I'm pretty sure that that, Now that I will own. And me trying to include her in the process of trying to figure out what's going on, I can accept that that would have been painful for her. And I can accept that as a child trying to name that experience, I can accept that that could be painful. Especially if you don't want to confront that. I'll accept that. Yep, I'll accept that. But I also don't know in terms of... I don't know if that's abuse because again the case of power isn't isn't established. So let's go. So um So but it, as I read that chapter, that chapter doesn't resonate with me as much as some of the other chapters. There's another chapter about the Emesh mom. And this, uh, in that particular chapter, they talk about the mother who doesn't want a separation between she and her child. 
So when that child, when her daughter tries to go off and have her own life, her own friends, the mother tries to make her child's friends hers, tries to center herself in her daughter's world, there was a lot of that happening too. And because I I got to a place early on, and I think as an I think because I was an introvert, I wasn't trying to share my world like that with my mother because I was trying to create a world of safety for myself. So some things that I was doing naturally to protect myself from my mother inserting myself herself into my world she saw that as rejection when my sister and I left home and when we left the state my mother felt like we had abandoned her she was very angry very resentful so in a lot of ways what my mother is doing now she's doing a lot of what would be considered revenge behavior a lot of payback behavior and in a lot of ways I'm okay with that, right? If my mother feels that I abandoned her, if my mother feels I rejected her, all of the things, right? Then if she isn't doing her healing work to forgive me of those things, right? Like we would have to debate, do I need to be forgiven for those things? But let's just say I do. Let's say I did something wrong. Is she going to go through the process of forgiving me? Of releasing Mia from that burden. And the way I went through the process. To forgive her and release her. She's not. Which takes us full circle. So my relationship. I said all of that. Because I'm saying more than I really want to say. I don't know how to process this conversation. Without saying it. But I am saying all of that to say. When you're in an unhealthy relationship. That healing work. I want to say it can't be one-sided, but in a way, it, I, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'll have to process this with my heart coach because I'm not really sure what the answer is. Because on one level, you do need to do that for yourself. Like if forgiveness is necessary for your healing, yes, do that. Do it. But I think, I think what I'm contending with is I've done that part. Now, does that mean I can now go into a relationship? If I can bounce my ass back into a relationship as though all I needed to do was forgive her and then we're all fine. No, because hold on. So, um, um, so, and I guess this is the first time that I have framed this like this. Most of the time I focused on. The harm I experienced by way of her and forgiven and all of that. What I'm realizing is that there's a harm that she feels that I have done to her. And she's not willing to forgive me for it. I and... She's not willing to forgive me for it. And she's not able to talk it out. To me. She's tried. And I just don't. I don't understand. 
I don't understand. I don't understand. And when I turned 40 is in the first time she told me how much I harmed her because I rejected her as a kid. I don't understand that. Okay, though. I mean, I can. Uh, okay. I don't know what to do about that. We could talk about me not doing it anymore. And I think part of this whole personality stuff that I've done, like, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. There was a big part of using personality theory that I wanted to share with my mother so that she could say, she could see, Ma, I wasn't rejecting you. This is my personality. And this is how people experience INTJs just so that she could, it could neutralize me. Maybe it's not going to make you feel warm and fuzzy towards me. But at least you know that that wasn't about me harming you. Nope. And in the last two weeks, I've been confronted with, and I know that she, I knew she was doing it. I think I didn't realize that she was still doing it. That she's, there's a narrative that she tells people about how I'm still harming her. And I don't know what to do. I don't even talk to my mom. I mean, that's I. I make sure I call. I I, I initiate the phone calls. I initiate those calls with her. My mother will call me maybe once a week now, and that's hey. I I'm not. I don't even complain about it. And that's better. Like if I can get a call from her once a week. That's okay with me because they she can go through pockets where I, mm-mm. so I I call her I try to make sure I hear her voice every other day. Um, I try to tell her I love her. Um, I re- last week I tried to tell her something that I wanted her to know about. I said, Ma, you know you're the only one that I could have theoretical conversations with in this whole world. I said, if you weren't here, I wouldn't have anybody to have theoretical conversations with so that she knows that there's there's something that I hold special about her. And that's my commitment. That's my commitment. That's my commitment. That's my resolve. And for the most part, I don't think about it. I don't think about it any other way. I understand. I don't, I'm not trying to mother her, but in my extra schooling, I'm the one that's gone to school to get three degrees. I mean, I understand the human experience. By the way, I heard, I was reading about the tri-types because I do, you know, I, I believe I'm an, a tri-type in the Enneagram 853. If, if, cause everybody doesn't, uh, in, in the typology world, they don't get with the whole tri-types. But if you do, then you would understand. I'm an 853, but there are times where I'm like, lately I'm like, there are times where I'm like, or are you an 854? Because each number, you have to have a number from each of the uh, uh, intelligence centers, the heart, the gut, and the um, head. So I was reading today about the 854, and 854s are known for really getting at the heart of the human experience, the human motivations. And I'm like, yep, that is me. 
then I went and read the 853 and I was like, yep, but that's more me. <laughs> so anyway, and three and four are both part of the head, the heart, the heart cluster. And it's my last, it's my last, it's my third number in the tribe type. And I'm, I'm, I'm not fully resolved with the theory. I'm not like, I don't like it in, but sometimes that theory offers me something that the, um, you know, the sub instinctual, uh, the subtypes, uh, of the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs can't offer me. So, so anyway, I've been resolved to love her the best way I know how. And, and all of that is fine. I'm not wrestling with that. I think what hurts is that I, I feel like I'm going to have to start another reflection in order to get into this. And maybe I don't really need to get this deep into this and be this transparent in this project. But so much of my world is still heavily influenced by the world I was raised in. This is the hard part. With my dad, my dad didn't raise me. So as I'm going through these pictures, here are the pictures that I now have inherited from my aunt by way of my cousin because my my aunt didn't pass them to me. My cousin passed them to me. And then I realized, but he still wants to have control over them. So you really didn't give them to me. You're just asking me to hold on to them as though I can just, and I'm not a hoarder. So that's another issue. I'm giving him one year. I'm giving him one year to grieve his mom and to contend with these pictures. But I've already called him. I, I went through all the pictures and I organized them into four categories. And I said, there's a category of pictures that you should let your kids have. He's got six kids. I don't know how many grandkids he has. Let's say two or three. I'm not sure. I said, you should let your kids have these pictures, this this group. And he was like, I don't want anybody getting any pictures unless I can see them. So I didn't even fight with him this morning when I called it, when I talked to him this morning. I said, cousin, I'm just asking you to think about it. Because it doesn't make sense for these pictures to sit up in a box in a basement somewhere. These pictures need to live. They need to be a part of, part of people's story. You know, they need to live. Your mother held on to these pictures not for them to be shoved away in storage. I don't believe that that's where they belong. And I said, all I'm asking you to do is to think about it. And he said he would think about it. But he was really kind of bossy and whatever. And I told him the other day, I said, you know, because he's also been doing this thing where he wants me... He's like, there's the two of us. It's just the two of us now. And we weren't raised like that. We, we start off being raised. That's not true. And then somewhere in our 30s, something happened. And I, that's a whole separate conversation. So he's now, he doesn't have anybody. My dad was like his father. He's lost his father. He lost his birth father years ago. And then he lost his adoptive father, my, his uncle, my dad. And then he lost his mom. He doesn't have anybody. And so then today, this yesterday, because I had to go pick up the pictures, and he said, you know, you're the matriarch on this side of the family. You're you're the oldest now. Technically, I'm not. My uh, my brother is. But because my brother wasn't looped in. So, so my cousin and I were raised to be fairly close up. I was able to our, my our 30s. My brother wasn't included in that. So in in, a, in terms of how we were raised, I am the oldest. So I'm the last. I said that. When my aunt died, it hit me that I'm the last. I'm the oldest 
of that side of the family on, under my grandparents' lineage. That's deep as hell to me. Oh, that's deep. So anyway, so anyway, so I'm going through all of these pictures and I'm realizing I'm not in these. I don't know. I don't know a lot of these pictures. So I was able to, to, to take those pictures and divide them into three, four categories. And there's one, the one category, which is the largest bunch. Like these are people I don't know. I don't know these people. I'm not going to throw these pictures away. I'm, I don't know them. I say all of that to say that. My father was not able to really impact my world the way my mother has impacted my world because my father didn't bring me into his world. Now, in my 30s, remember I said, I've said this before, my relationship with my dad turned sour once I got into my mid-30s and this is when my relationship with my cousin started to fall apart this is when my younger sister really showed up on the scene. It, it's, I bet you there's a, I bet you there's some interrelatedness happening here. But um, I can move about in the world and not have my father's judgment impact me outside of my aunt, who's now passed, my cousin. And my half-sister. That's it. But on my mom's side, all of, the, my, all of my aunts and uncles, these people that are like my mom's best friends that were raised to be my aunt, to be like aunts, these are all her people. And my ex said this to me once. Your mother, people are seeing you through the lens of your mother. Which was really hard for me because I thought I had my own relationship with these people and I don't have them I don't have it and I need to get this is the place I need to get to I need that's the part that's hurting me because my mother is still narratizing that environment she's still creating a narrative she's still having an impact and so I'm back in my hometown literally like with no family because the family that I, I was raised with I now have a relationship with them through the lens of my mother. But I'm the power holder, right? I hold the power to abuse, right? Hashtag sarcasm. So, you guys, I can't put a bow on this because uh, this is just so loaded. And, um, I don't. again, I think the only reason why I'm processing now because I'm taking this time on my vacation to really assess my the different domains of living and one is relationship and family has been such a big part of me for so long that I there's some divorcing that I have to do and I've talked about this I don't know how I'm going to do it but I will say this I will say that I'm getting closer to being able to do the divorce not like I talked to this lady in the spiritual group that I'm in she said she cut her family off she hasn't talked to her family in 30 years, she said. Oh, no, no, 20 years. And she's good. I, I, I don't, I'm not there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to ever have to do that. I love my family way too much. But I also have to accept that loving them and holding on to them is going to mean being in the shadow of the narratives that my mother has told. And the thing about it is that if, if I am the bad person, if I'm the bad guy, at what point do you want to call me in? 
You get what I'm saying? Like you're you calling people all, you're calling them in. At what point do you want to call me in? Because if I'm the bad guy, you're the loving one, right? You're the loving one. Wouldn't you want to help me? Right? I don't know. Anyway. So, you know, as much as I feel like, check, yep, I checked the healing stuff off. I think I am. I feel like I'm in a good space. But I now have to really figure out what does that mean for me in terms of having a relationship, especially if I'm going to stand in my hometown and I'm thinking more and more, you know, I think if I had a fight, if I had a job, I, if I was have a job, I, you know, then I think about retirement. Like, can I just jump up and leave again? But I'm I'm telling you, that's on my radar. It is actually on my radar today. Um, the last couple of days. So because I mean, and I live in a town where I'm I'm known to be connected to my family. So like I was invited to do something yesterday uh, Sunday. I couldn't go. I couldn't go because I didn't want that connection. I, I don't want to sit in a room where I've been narratized a certain way. No. So, anyway. Anyway, I really don't know. <laughs> so, um, but as I bring closure here and I talk about this orphan, being orphan, I don't even know how to bring closure to this. Um, when you And from the readings that I did this morning, when you're an orphan, it's when you lose a parent. You don't have access to a parent. Well, what happens when you never had access to a parent? And I thank very, I'm thankful that my mother, my mother structurally took care of us materially. She took care of us. She did that. But I think my mother can make a hard, it would be a hard case for my mother to make to say she took care of us, she tended to us emotionally. And I think part of it is because she didn't know to do that. And I suspect no one did it for her. So my mom has this built up resentment of having her emotional needs not met. But she cannot wrap her mind around the fact that it may not have happened from her parents. Not that her parents didn't take care of her. Not that her fact that her parents didn't love her. But it is possible that her emotional needs were not attended to. Her father was of, uh, just I've talked about that. I'm not going to go into it now. It was seven offsprings. There was a lot of turbulence in that home. Everything that we know in child psychology would suggest that my mother and her siblings' needs weren't able, emotional needs weren't attended to. And then this takes us to post-traumatic slave syndrome. Because in many ways, not completely, so please, if you're white and you're listening to this and you have black friends, or please don't take this and say, just don't. But there is a theory that says that the lineage left behind from slavery and how the family, how black families weren't able to have being family, like when they were enslaved, there was no, there was no institution of the family for blacks. Because of the slave trade and how they could be auctioned and raped. And it's just, the, the, there is no institution. We don't have an institutional lineage. And part of surviving that very human experience of, 
of having offspring and being wired to care for your offspring, but knowing that your offspring could be taken from you and in front of you. What this is my saying, like an emotionally shutting down, emotionally shutting down. So in many ways, I don't, I think part of the intergenerational trauma is some it's connected with post-traumatic safe syndrome. The aftermath of, of 400 years of, of not being having full access to the institution of family. But one of the traits of my family, and I don't, I've talked about this before, I don't want to get into it now, is an outward projection of how great of how great we are as a family. And there is no room to contend with any of those gaps. There's absolutely no room. And as a matter of fact, I'm the I'm the I'm the one that's violating that by talking about it. If and when they find this podcast, this will be devastating. I will have broken the major rule for talking about it. Then it will be a discrediting. There will be a discrediting of my subjectivity, right? All of that. It is what it is. So, so, so I, I don't have anything else to say. I wish I had access to some text. I do want to find some text that would talk about the syndromes that there are sin, syndromes, symptoms, sin, the syndrome of being orphaned, and there are symptoms. And if I had access to those, I, I would I would loop them into this closing part of the reflection. But I don't. But I'm pretty sure this is a theme that I'll come back to. I'll come back to it. But I just needed to share with you that that was my thinking this morning, um, uh, this today, of being orphaned. Um, and what I know about what parents do, what the parent, the parental role the healthy, how do you say it? The, the parent's role in healthy child development as it relates to attending to the emotional needs. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. Um, and as I'm learning, my sister didn't get it either. My sister got something in terms of the narcissistic family structure. She was chosen as, she was chosen as the, 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 the um, the golden child, but there were times, and my sister reminded me of this morning, there were times when I actually was selected as the golden child. I'm looking at these pictures, and my sister, who's so girly, I'm not girly, my sister's so girly, but if you look at these pictures, <laughs> my sister had me cracking up this morning, because my mother had me all dressed up as like this little princess, like this little doll, you know, and then you look at these pictures of my sister at a young age, <laughs> My sister was like, she got me looking like a tomboy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a tomboy except my sister is so is more girly, and so, and I'm more tomboy, and so if you will, I'm, I don't. I, I was more tomboy uh, growing up, but my mother really, you know, created this, created me in this. You look at those earlier pictures of me. I was definitely presented at like a doll you know and my sister didn't get that so I have come to terms that there are different ways that that narcissistic family structure identifies the golden child the 
black sheep, you know, the flying monkey and all of that. It's a really fascinating theory. And I really wish, you know, I just, it is, you know, it is what it is. So anyway, I, um, I'm trying to find a nice way to, to close this and I just don't have it. So here it is. If this reflection is at any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about being orphaned and the emotional relationship between parent to child, particularly between mother and daughter, um, the idea of power as it relates to abuse, the idea of power abuse and, and in a parent child relationship. If any of this conversation relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. On Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook and YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you an assignment. What's, what just came to me, and I feel like I want to linger here for my own self, so this is an assignment I'm going to give myself as I give it to you. What is the relationship between healing forgiving forgiving and acceptance usually we talk about forgiveness and healing as going together but what about acceptance you can forgive somebody but if they're still lingering in those traits that you had to forgive them forgiving them of the past doesn't make those traits disappear there's got to be an acceptance and man when it when you accept those traits that acceptance means really you have to take you have to take ownership now it's about you and not about the other person healing forgiveness acceptance and ownership you got to own what it means to accept the thing that you forgave oh my god that's deep i don't know man healing forgiveness acceptance and ownership what is the relationship that you see between those? And is there a situation in your life where it would benefit you to put together your own framework as relating to forgiveness, excuse me, healing, forgiveness, acceptance, and ownership? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.